What wonderful news we heard today. Over $160,000 given in our recent Mission Sunday collection. It's an awesome result. And our hope and prayer, of course, is that our gifts will be used to spread the good news of Jesus around the world, that many will hear it and believe it with all their heart. But here's the thing. Did you know that there are lots of people out there today who have the very same hope for you and me? That is, lots of people with their own message to share, their own different gospel, for whom we are the mission field. Of course, there are the usual suspects, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and other pseudo-Christian cults. But then, to confuse matters, there are also those within the church offering their alternate gospel as well. For example, uh, proponents of the prosperity gospel who teach that God's greatest desire is for you to be healthy and wealthy and that you will surely be if only you have enough faith. Others teach that when Jesus came to earth, he stopped being God. And since he was able to do miracles as a mere human being, then you can expect to do the same. In fact, it is your responsibility to do so. There are the so-called Christian authors who in their self-help books tell you that there's no problem that believing in yourself won't fix. And now, to add to the list, there's the increasingly influential movement called progressive Christianity, which some have called Christianity for people who don't like Christianity. Now, it teaches that Jesus isn't so much the divine son of God as a, a big brother whose example is worth following and that he's just one of many ways to connect with God. Because many people find the idea of a literal uh, hell offensive, well, these people reinterpret hell as, as just a metaphor. Progressive Christianity says that, that people aren't really all that bad. And so you should never call a, a nice person a sinner, regardless of their sexual choices or anything else. And it teaches that there's, there's no need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love uh, by, by bringing justice to the oppressed and by helping the poor. That's where our focus should be. And this progressive Christianity is becoming increasingly popular, especially among young people. I mean, after all, who wants to be labelled um, old-fashioned and, and narrow-minded for sticking with what the Bible actually says? Who doesn't want to be progressive? Yes, it's true. There are, there are many cults and, and even so-called Christians who would like us to believe a very different gospel from the one taught by Jesus and the apostles. And so, what are we to do when we hear their messages, which we surely will? Well, today we're going to look together at the very short book of 2 John. And in it, we'll see exactly how God wants us to respond to any gospel that is not his own. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you at 2 John, let me encourage you to turn with me there now. And uh, we can see uh, that uh, the book of 2 John, it, it, it's actually a letter. For the younger folk among us, uh, let me quickly explain uh, that, that a letter 
is uh, something we had in the olden days. Uh, it's a bit like a, a, bit like a text, uh, but on paper, okay? Um, and without emojis, but with grammar. It's a letter. And whilst we're not told explicitly who wrote the letter of 2 John, uh, the style and uh, the content, along with early tradition, strongly suggest that it, it was written by the Apostle John, uh, the same author as 1 John, uh, which we've just finished looking at together here at church. And John starts this letter by calling himself the Elder, uh, no doubt a term of endearment by which his readers uh, know him, uh, but also one that indicates a, a mutually understood authority. And John calls uh, the recipients of this letter uh, the chosen lady and her children, which is most likely a metaphor for a, a particular church and its members. But what's really interesting here is the way John describes the, the, the love that he has for the people of this church. He says that he loves them in the truth. In other words, his love for them, it's not based on the fact that they click or that they're really nice, but rather it's built on the truth. What truth? Well, gospel truth. The same truth we saw explained in 1 John, that Jesus is the divine Son of God who, who came into the world to save sinners by dying on a cross and rising again so that all who put their trust in him might be forgiven and adopted into God's eternal family. It's this wonderful truth that, that underpins John's love for these Christians. In fact, John says it's the foundation for the love all Christians share. The truth that now lives and works in them to create a community of love, thereby proving that they really are God's people who have received his grace and mercy and peace. Here, read with me from verse 1. Verse 1. The elder. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. So John starts his letter by reminding these Christians that gospel truth is the foundation of the loving fellowship that they share with one another and with God. And of course, that makes this truth really important. Which is why John goes on to say how overjoyed he is to hear that these Christians are walking in the truth that they're believing the gospel and living it out. Uh, perhaps, perhaps some people from uh, this church have visited John and, and brought a report on how everyone's going. Or maybe John has sent some of his own people on a pastoral visit to them. Whatever the case, he is totally over the moon to discover that the members of this church are walking in the truth. And because they're united in gospel truth, John now exhorts them to love one another, just as they were told to do when they first became Christians. But what will it mean for them to love one another, do you think? What will that look like? Well, obviously, that'll depend on how you define love. Of course, if we were to ask our modern world the question, what is love? 
it would give a very subjective answer, wouldn't it? Uh, one based on, on mutual attraction and, and, and what feels right. Love is love, they say. But not so John. He says that love is obedience. It's doing what Jesus says. In other words, any kind of love that involves disobeying Jesus isn't love at all in God's book. But on the other hand, when we do obey Jesus, uh, showing forgiveness, patience, uh, kindness, humility, honesty, faithfulness, generosity, gentleness, self-control, well, then we are truly loving others. Here, read with me from verse 4. Verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And so, as these Christians live out the truth of the gospel and, and obey Christ's teachings, they'll naturally love one another. And obviously then that, that makes both the truth about Jesus and his teachings really important. Which then brings John to the main point of his letter. Uh, John wants to make sure that his readers stick with Jesus and his teaching and never walk away from them. And it's really important that his readers get this. Because there are people who are actively spreading fake news about Jesus. Certain false teachers, John calls them deceivers, who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. That is, they deny that he is the saviour and Christ. So John aptly calls them the Antichrist. And he warns his readers to watch out, lest they be taken in by them. Because to believe these false teachers would be to, to, to run ahead, um, to, to move on from the truth about Jesus and his teaching. But God's truth never moves. And so to, to run ahead would be to leave God and the salvation that he offers behind. It would be a terrible, tragic mistake. And so John's readers have to make sure that they're not taken in by these deceivers. And they also need to make sure that they don't take them in either. And John goes on to say that when these deceivers come knocking on their door, they, they, they shouldn't take them into their homes or welcome them. Because you see, back then, uh, there were no Bible colleges. And, and so it was quite normal for theological teachers to travel around from church to church uh, just like we know the Apostle Paul did. And, and the general expectation was that churches would show, show them hospitality as, as an act of Christian love. But in doing so, they weren't just offering a meal and a bed. They were also doing two sig very significant things. First, they were enabling their ministry. You know, by giving them a base from which to work and by supplying them with, with food and shelter, they were enabling them. And second, they were endorsing them. By, by hosting them, they were, they were in effect putting their stamp of, uh, stamp of approval on them. 
They were saying to the community, um, here's someone who can be trusted and whose message I approve of. And so John says, don't show hospitality to false teachers because by doing so, you're actually sharing in their wicked work. You're enabling and endorsing them and, and so you're putting your fellow believers in danger. Here, read with me from verse 7. Verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So these Christians need to ensure that they aren't taken in by these false teachers and they must not take them in either because people's eternal destiny is at stake if they swallow the false teacher's lies. And then John's letter finishes with some warm words about a hoped-for visit. There's so much more he wants to, to say and, and he knows there's no better way to do that than face-to-face. Something I think all of us in lockdown would heartily agree with, don't you think? John trusts that as one who'll come proclaiming the true gospel, as opposed to the deceivers, he'll be warmly welcomed into their community. He anticipates a joyful reunion when they'll encourage one another to stick with Jesus and, and the true gospel message that brings salvation. And with a final greeting from the members of the sister church John's currently at, he closes his letter. You read with me these final verses from verse 12. Verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. And with that, we reach the end of the letter. So what's it about? Well, John is writing to a church that's under pressure to move on from the truth of the gospel. And so he reminds them that truth matters, that it is the foundation of their loving fellowship with one another and with God. And so they need to be on guard against false teachers. They need to ensure that they're not taken in by them and that they don't take them in because people's salvation is at stake. Instead, they should warm, warmly and joyfully welcome those who teach the one true gospel that saves. So what does all this mean for us here today, do you think? What do you reckon? Well, let's face it, chances are pretty low, I think it's fair to say, chances are pretty low that, that we'll find someone knocking on our door anytime soon, looking to use our home as a base from which to promote their false theology. Um, the fact is, it's, not, it's just not done that, that way anymore. Things don't work that way. But that's not to say that we aren't 
going to encounter false teachers anymore. So where will we find them? Well, sometimes it will be on our front doorstep. And I think most of us have probably had Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, Mormons door knock us, but, but they're not the only ones. Uh, I remember, a, I remember a, a few years back um, uh, chatting with a, a couple of cult members on uh, my doorstep uh, who tried to convince me uh, that not only is there God the Father, uh, but there is uh, God the Mother too, uh, who happens to be a, a woman living in South Korea. I dare say there are many in our church who would like to say that Korea is God's own country, but anyway. Away from the doorstep, uh, we might meet false teachers on the lawns of university campuses, uh, doing their own version of walk-up evangelism, or we can encounter them in books, uh, even ones that have made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. Or uh, we can see false teachers uh, preaching on TV or uh, hear them in the, the lyrics of catchy worship songs. And of course, where false teachers were once limited by geography, now, well, now they're just a, a click away, offering us a, an endless array of podcasts and blogs and YouTube channels and so what should we do? How should we respond to them? Well, you know, I reckon that if the Apostle John were to write a letter to us here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church in our modern context, I reckon he'd no doubt offer us the very same advice he did that church all those years ago. I reckon he'd encourage us not to be taken in by false teachers and not to take them in either. So let's think about those two things in turn for a bit. Firstly, we mustn't be taken in by false teachers. We mustn't be deceived by them. And of course, that'll mean being able to, to identify them in the first place. So let me ask, do you think you'd be able to spot a false teacher if you encountered one? Because here's the thing, it is very, very unlikely that that they'll be wearing dark sunglasses and, and a trench coat and, you know, whispering, Psst, hey, sucker, come over here, I've got some heresy for you. In fact, from my experience, most false teachers are, are actually pretty normal-looking. They're often, often friendly and winsome and intelligent. They often do good things like helping the poor. And I'm pretty sure most don't wake up in the morning and think, hmm... Who am I going to see deceive today? Now, I imagine most are actually quite sincere in their beliefs. And so, how are we going to spot them? Well, ultimately, it's going to have to come down to what they teach. Because what every false teacher has in common is that they teach a different gospel to the gospel recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. And so we're going to have to ask, is what I'm hearing in line with what I know God says in the Bible? Now, at this point, let me just briefly offer a uh, word of caution. Because the thing is, at times, genuine Christians will have differences of opinion on various doctrinal matters. Like whether baptism should be by sprinkling or immersion, or uh, whether the 
world is thousands of years old or, or millions. These are what we might call second-order doctrines. You know, they're important and worthy of debate, but salvation doesn't hinge on them. And so they're debates that can be had among genuine Christian brothers and sisters. But the kind of false teachers John is warning uh, warning us of here in 2 John uh, are the sort that deny the the core claims of Christianity. You know, um, the Trinity, God is three in one. Uh, The Incarnation, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, Substitutionary Atonement, uh, Jesus' death pays for our sins. Jesus' resurrection. It's those who deny the core claims of Christianity like these who are the true false teachers and the ones we need to watch out for. And the best way for us to protect ourselves from them is not by knowing every false teaching that's out there because, let's face it, that is an endless task. Instead, we need to be so familiar with the truth and, and, and love it so much, so deeply, that when we hear anything different, uh, alarm bells start ringing inside us. You know, I always marvel at those uh, master chef judges. I mean, the way that they can taste someone's food and know exactly what's in it and what's not quite right with it. How can they do that? Well, obviously, it's by by spending lots and lots of time with those ingredients and and getting to know them really well. And it's as we spend time in God's Word that we'll be able to discern when, when something's a bit off. So let me commend you for being here today. And let me encourage you to to keep listening to solid Bible teaching and reading the Bible for yourself each day. If you're not part of a Bible study group, well, let me encourage you to get into one. And if you need to brush up on the basics of the faith, then, well, how about signing up for our Exploring Christianity course? And if you've got kids, you know, I truly believe that, that John's message here is doubly important for them. Because they are growing up in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, to true Christianity. And that's, that, that's going to make the false teachings of movements like progressive Christianity, Christianity even more appealing to them. So let's ground them in God's Word now. Let's get them to connect kids and youth group each week. Let's read the Bible with them each day. And let's buy them books that that answer their questions about the Christian faith. But whether we're adults or kids, let's not be deceived. Not all progress is good. An egg left out in the sun will progress to become a bad egg. And God's truth never moves. For us to move on, to progress from it is to leave God behind along with the salvation he offers. So let's be sure that we're never taken in by false teachers. That, that's the first point. Secondly, let's not take them in either. 
And what does that mean for us in our modern day context, do you think? Does it mean that when the Jehovah's Witness turns up on your doorstep, you should never invite them in for a cup of tea in order to share the gospel with them? Well, no, I don't think that's quite what John has in mind here. Remember, in John's day, having a travelling teacher come into your home was about giving them a place to stay. And that was problematic because it meant both enabling and endorsing their ministry. So let's think about that then. How might we enable and endorse false teachers in our modern context, do you think? Firstly, enabling. How might we make it possible for people to teach wrong things about Jesus? Well, I guess it happens whenever we provide them with a a platform from which to spread their wrong doctrine. And so, for example, that means we have to be really very, very careful about whom we give teaching positions to here at church. Uh, The preachers, the elders, and the Bible study leaders, the um, youth leaders, the kids leaders, all those who explain God's word to us. We want to make sure that they are people who are committed to teaching the true gospel. The same goes for our mission partners. If we are going to enable their ministry by offering them financial support, as we've just done, then we want to make sure that they're teaching the truth. And that's why we are very careful to make sure our mission partners are theologically sound before we take on their support, because we don't want to be enabling false teachers. And that should be the case with all the missionaries and and organisations we support. Not just as a church, but as individuals too. We we each need to to be mindful of where our money's going through the books and the subscriptions and the music we buy and the organisations we support. I know that there are a number of people in our congregation who have made the very, very difficult decision of leaving former churches because they just couldn't support the unbiblical teaching they heard there anymore. At the end of the day, we don't want to be enabling any ministry that's leading people away from the one true gospel that saves. And then there's the question of endorsing false teachers. What do you reckon? How could we inadvertently endorse false teachers in our modern context, do you think? Well, I guess there are a few ways, aren't there? I mean, every time we pass on a book to someone or recommend a conference or share a podcast or forward a link to a song or sermon, every time we retweet a message, we are in effect saying, I endorse the message herein. And in the age of instant mass communication, our endorsement can be heard far and wide. So I think we need to be careful. At times we will have friends who'll post some heartfelt message on social media. And because they're our friend, we'll feel the pressure to like their post. But we need to be careful not to give a a thumbs up to any message that contradicts or or undermines God's word. I don't think we need to tie ourselves in knots about this. I, I just think we need to take a little care. Asking ourselves, what is this person actually saying? 
How does it measure up against the gospel truth? And what effect might my endorsement have on those who see it? Why do we need to be so careful? Well, because truth matters. And because our first loyalty is to our Lord Jesus Christ. And his command is to love one another in the truth. So let's be careful not to enable or endorse any ministry that undermines the gospel. But to finish, you know, I I don't want us just to focus on what not to do. I want us to also think about how we can enable and endorse good gospel ministry because if it is unloving for us to support false teaching, then surely it's very good, very loving for us to support and share excellent Bible teaching. And so I say, let's be like John, who who longed to, to encourage his fellow believers in the truth and found great joy in that. Now, praise God that there are heaps and heaps of good ministries out there who are worthy of our support. Let me give, quickly give a, a shout-out to, to, to just three of them that I reckon all of us should be aware of. There's Matthias Media, who are dedicated to writing and publishing excellent Christian books, tracts and Bible studies. There's Reformers Bookshop, a non-profit Christian bookseller with all kinds of great resources to help you and your family grow in your faith. And there's Emu Music, an organisation committed to producing songs that not only sound great, but are true to the gospel as well. Now, there are many, many more, but hopefully you get the idea. Friends, encouraging one another with, with gospel truth is a key way that we can love each other. So do consider how you can actively promote great teaching within your own circle of influence. Now, it kind of reminds me of what Cedric Doubler did for Ash Maloney this past week in the Olympic decathlon. Did you see it? He knew that if his teammate was to make it over the line in a certain period of time, then he'd get a medal. So he ran alongside him throughout the race, shouting out encouragements at him and spurring him on. The result? Maloney got the medal. And they both shared in the joy of it together. Friends, let that be us. It's a long race. And it's easy to get off track. So let's do all we can to keep each other walking in the truth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the gospel. And please help us to never move on from it. And please help us to not be deceived by false teachers, nor inadvertently support their work. Instead, help us to love one another by sharing what is only true and good and fill us with joy as we see one another walking in the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.